Friends, this morning we are going to wrap up our series from 1 Corinthians. Uh, you know, in some ways it just seems like it's just been a few weeks ago we started. But 16 chapters and two messages out of chapter 15, so 17, and we missed a week. So it's been 18 weeks since I began this journey in 1 Corinthians. But I, I, I've enjoyed it. I hope you've enjoyed the messages from 1 Corinthians. And so much of it is about what Karen just spoke about. Unity. Make us one. That was Paul's goal because there was so much division and dispute and argument and all this going on within the church. Make us one. That's what Paul wanted to do. Be one in Christ. For the sake of His name. As that song we just sang. Make us one. And Lord, that should be our goal. For the sake of Your name, Jesus Christ, make us one. For the sake of the cross. And then the, the, the second song, the message of the cross. Friends, that's what we have, is the message of the cross. That's, there's no other place that we can find freedom, that we can find victory over our sins, but through the cross of Jesus Christ. That is the message that we have, the message that I have, the message the church has for those that are lost, that are bound in the sickness of their sins. We have the message to set them free. And it is the cross. May we all be faithful. And may we do all that we do in love. Let all you do be done in love. Church, if we walk that, if we live that out, we'll be pleasing unto God. If we do everything we do, if we do it in love. Not for ourselves, Not to lift our make us look good or to lift ourselves up, but we need to do it in love for the sake of His name. Amen? Let's just go ahead and pray before I even read the Scripture this morning. Father, I just praise You and magnify You. I thank You for Your holy presence here today that we we know that You are here, You are with us. We can feel Your presence. Father, we thank You for the way You have already ministered to us, Father, through the song and through your, your love, and just through being with one another. Father, we thank You so much. Father, I think sometimes just to come together and, and love on one another and just to lift Your name is what we need most of all. Amen. Father, I pray that Your Spirit would continue to, to be in this place, to open our hearts up to You, Father. Open up to what You have for us today. Father, that we would leave encouraged, that we would leave with boldness. Father God, that we would... Live our lives in a way that would be pleasing unto you, Father, that we might hear someday, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Father, help us to be true to you, true to your love. And Lord, help us to do what we do in love. Love for others, Father God. Let that be what moves us and drives us. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 16. Karen's used up most of my time here this morning. No, we all did. I'm, I'm sorry. All right. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. So it's not just the church of Corinth that Paul is instructing to take up a collection for the saints. Also, Galatia and their other churches taken up a collection for the saints. And we're, we're going to learn who those saints are. Paul says, on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside some, 
lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collection when I come. And when I come, whoever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. So there, now you know where the collection's going, to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. Now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia. And it may be that I will remain, or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you, if the Lord permits. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door is open to me there, and there are many adversaries. And if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord as I also do. Therefore let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace, that he may come to me, for I am waiting for him with the brethren. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren, but he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. Then Paul's words, Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. My friends, that is the word for the church in every age. Let all that you do be done with love. I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that it is the fruit, the fruit, first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you also submit to such and to everyone who works and labors with us. May God add His blessings to the hearing and the reading of His holy word. Paul begins with that, talking about the, the collection, instructions on when to take up the collection and for the saints, who it's going to be for. It's obvious this is a monetary, uh, uh, they're going to put their money, their cash in the, in the plates in this collection for the saints. You know, and he's telling this way ahead of time. You know, don't wait till I come and then everybody have to rush around and take up a collection. I'm telling you in advance. So, you know, they're going to raise this money to send to Jerusalem you know, you think when churches sometimes have fundraisers, they'll, they'll make this big sign and they'll, they'll chart how their progress is going and they'll have the thing going up. You know, maybe they're going to raise $10,000 to try to send to Jerusalem. I'm telling you ahead of time, begin to take up this collection so when I come, it's ready to go. It will be prepared. The Christians or the saints he's referring to are the Christians in Jerusalem and Judea. The believers in Jerusalem were experiencing a time of great need, great hardship. You know, in the book of Acts, when we read of when uh, the Holy Spirit came and the church began to grow, you know, it, it grew in leaps and bounds for a while. And it continued to grow. But if you remember back in the first part, they had believers, brothers and sisters that were selling their possessions and they were all bringing it in. They had all things in common. They were taking care of one another. They were providing one, one another with the food and all the necessities. And you know, if everyone started selling all their stuff, after a while, you're going to run out of stuff, right? So it could be that there wasn't as much 
prosperity there. They've, you know, they're down to their basic needs. So they're finding themselves in need. There was also a great deal of persecution against the Christians living in Judea. Remember, Judea was predominantly a Jewish state at that time, Jewish nation. And the Jews were not real fond of the Christians at that time, were they? They were not real fond of them. There was still a lot of division because we know that the, the Apostle Paul, when he was still Saul, I mean, he sought out those Christians to bring them in, put them in jail, watch Stephen be stoned to death. A lot of division. You know, this, the whole book of Corinthians is about division within the church. My friends, there's a lot of division in the world. A lot of division over different kinds of faith. You know, just look at the Muslim faith. I'm not picking on just them. But you look at the Muslim faith, there's those that are radical Muslims, that they hate all Christians, just as soon cut our heads off. And they do not even like Muslims that aren't as radical as them. Because there are some Muslims that are peaceful people. You know, they, they're, they're just perfectly content to live among Christians and other faiths and build their homes, build their families, and work and just have peace and have their being, right? There's lots of Muslims, Muslims that are peaceful. So these radical Muslims, they do, they do not even like them. They would just as soon kill them. So there's a lot of division in faith amongst people of different faith. Different denominations even. There's a lot of division. Because you don't believe the way we believe and walk the way we walk and do the things we do. <laughs> You're a heathen. That's the belief of some. A lot of division even within the Christian faith. So here you have some believers in Judea that, you know, they probably became believers when they came to Jerusalem for Passover or whatever, and they became a believer. They wanted to stay there for a while. I want to be among these brothers and sisters, these, these new brothers and sisters of mine. I want to learn about this new faith, this, new, this Jesus that I've just surrendered my sins to. So they, they, they stayed there. So there's a lot of believers there but they are still the minority, right? And as I was working on this, you know, I kind of work on this in my mind the whole week. And sometimes it's just practical things that I think about. You know, today, even in today's world, and I'm sure this was true, even has been true for centuries, when you go to look for a job, you go to look for employment, it is not always what you know, is it? I just heard somebody say, it is who you know. It's the connections you may have. Hey, so-and-so is looking for a job. And you know what? I think he'd be a good fit for you. You know, when I hired on at the railroad 39 and a half years ago, I did know about painting. I knew about that. But the most important thing was, it was who I knew. I had an uncle that worked there. He put a good word in for me. Talk to the boss. There's a really long story to that, but anyway, helped me get my position at the railroad. And I, a, a number of years ago, they started hiring more people back in the late 90s. And I know for a fact, because the managers at that time shared with me, when they started hiring, and was hiring quite a few people, when they looked at the list of people that the 
the, the HR would send them, they would look for names of people that they knew. If they seen last names, someone they recognized, they'd hire that person. I have one particular gentleman that is working today, a great worker, and his last name is Ashenfelder, Larry. His, he had, well, no, wait a minute, I'm going to back up. There was a Jerry Ashenfelder that worked at the railroad and retired before Larry was hired. Jerry was a very good worker, too. So when they seen the name Ashenfelder, they hired him. So when he gets to work, they're like, are you Jerry's nephew? He said, Jerry who? <laughs> Jerry Ashenfelder, he says, no relation. <laughs> so, you know, he laughed about it. Actually, we were just talking about this a few weeks ago. He goes, I didn't even know him. <laughs> but they got a good employee when they hired him because of the name. So it's sometimes who you know. So let's get back to Jerusalem. you got all these believers that may have came and stayed. They're out looking for a job. Well, who do you think most of the landowners or business owners are going to be? Jews. You think we're going to hire that Christian? <laughs> we just soon see them be gone. We ain't going to hire them. So they may have had an extreme difficult time trying to find a employment, a way to support their families. So they were in great need. So there's probably many reasons to why they was in this great need. And to add to that, sometimes I leave my notes and then I come back and say, where am I? There was a famine. There was a great famine in the region in that time. So that's adding to all their other problems. In Acts 11, 27-30, it says, And in these days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them, named Agabus, stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. So they also did this they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So on top of the persecution, on top of the lack of employment, on top of everything else, then we have a famine. So they were very poor, destitute, in great need of help. So Paul says, let's take up a collection that we can help them. Paul said in verse 2, On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collection when I come. You know, some will take this verse to, on the first day of the week, let's take up a collection and say, there you go. There you have it. There's why we're, we, they worshiped on Sunday, the first day of the week. Right? That's when they did it. That's when it started, right there. I think they're using that a little out of context. Because it didn't say they were gathered together for worship, and whenever you take up your offering, he just says on the first day of the week, store something up, lay something aside. It doesn't mean that that was the day of worship. Another explanation that some try to use is say, well, you know what? I think back in that day, maybe they were paid on the first day of the week. That's why they're telling them to store up on the first day of the week. And when I think of that, I'm thinking, am I going to pay them before they work? No. <clears throat> no. We're not going to pay them before they work. As a matter of fact, do you think Jesus' parables and the stories He told were really relevant to the, that day and age? I think they probably were. 
People would understand a lot. I mean, sometimes they didn't understand them, but there's one found in Matthew 20, verses 1 through 4 and verse 8. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he agreed, had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, You also go into vineyard. And whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. And he went out again. I'm not going to read because I just stopped there. He went out the sixth hour. He went the ninth hour. Many worked only an hour. So back to verse 8. He says, So when evening had come, my friends, when evening had come, at the end of the day, right? At the end of the day, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. What's that tell me? They got paid at the end of the day, every day. Because they would go out and look for laborers to come in and work the fields. They might not see that labor again for weeks. So they paid them at the end of the day. Not at the first day of the week, as that says. He says to lay up. So the focus is not on which day they were paid. What this verse speaks to me is at the beginning of the week. When we get our pay, so let's just... Let me just get away from my notes. When we get our pay, whether it be at the end of the week, whether it be at the end of every two weeks, whether it is the first of the month, when we get our pay, what Paul was saying, set aside that portion for the collection. Set aside that portion for God before we do what we want to do with the rest of it. Don't wait until the end of the week or the end of the bi-week or the end of the month, and oh, if I happen to have a little bit left, then I'll give to that great need, or then I'll give to God. We're going to take care of self first. No, that's not what he's saying. You set aside for the need, and then you live on what's left. Don't wait and give the penance what's left over to take care of your needs or your wants. No, we set it aside first. That's what this passage speaks to me. The first day. The first part should, would be a better term for me. Set, the first, set it apart as soon as you get it. And be joyful about it. And be generous about it. Paul says, for all to give. All. For those that are very wealthy, for those that have a little. Each one. Give as you may prosper. Because we're, why do we prosper? Because God is gracious. Amen. We prosper because God has given us the ability to earn an income. We prosper because God is good. He blesses us. It's all His. Give back as you may prosper. Proverbs 11.25 says, The generous soul will be made rich. And he who waters will also be watered himself. The generous soul will be made rich. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-8 says, But this I say, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. 
Let that sink in a minute. God's going to bless us and we'll have an abundance for every good work. Amen. That we can be loved. That we can be Christ. We'll have what we need to give. And you know, there's another aspect to this collection that may just you know, be hard to pick up on. But there is another aspect to it. If the Gentile believers were faithful and to raise a, a nice, generous gift for the church in Judea, Jerusalem, whenever they would receive that gift and know where it came from, what effect do you think that would have on their hearts? Well, there's those people that, you know, just a while back we were telling them, you need to be circumcised. You should not eat this. You should not eat that. You need to wash this. You need to do that. All those little laws that they were so used to, you know, they were trying to force onto the Gentiles. But here they are now. Man, we were about starved to death. And now they helped us. They blessed us. They're not so bad after all, are they? It might have changed their attitudes toward the Gentile believers a little bit. It might have brought a little unity, as Karen was talking about in the beginning. It was mending that little bit of divide between the believers. That's probably the greatest blessing of giving and taking up a collection. To bring peace, to bring unity and love. Giving, my friends, is a vital part of worship. We are to respond to the needs of the church and God's people in a loving, sacrificial manner. Leslie B. Flynn illustrated this, this kind of personal giving in his book, Worship. Leslie wrote, A man was packing a shipment of food contributed by a school for the poor. Yeah, contributed by a school for the poor people of Appalachia. He was separating the beans from the powdered milk and the canned vegetables from the canned meats and just separating everything, trying to get it organized. When he reached into a box filled with various cans and he pulled out a little brown paper sack. And apparently one of the pupils had brought something different from the items suggested on the list. And out of the paper bag fell a peanut butter sandwich, an apple, and a cookie. And crayoned in large letters was a little girl's name, Christy, room 104. She had given up her lunch for a hungry person. Gave what little she had. Friends, that's a generous heart. That's love in action. James says in chapter 2, verse 14 through 17, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to him, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled. But if you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, it does not have works, is dead. Friends, could you imagine walk up to someone that's hungry, destitute, whoever, let's pat him on the head a little bit. Oh, brother, we'll pray for you. We're going to pray that God will send somebody to help you. Man, God needs to smack us on the side of the head and say, I've sent him to you. Or sent you to him, I mean. Sent you to him. We need to be the ones to help them in their time of need. Paul says to watch. Watch against evil. We need to watch for opportunities to receive good. We need to watch for opportunities to do good. 
We need to watch over each other in love. We need to be strong. We need to put in everything, all of our energy to do what God has called us to do. We need to let everything that we do be driven by love. Love needs to be what motivates us to do what we do. You know, there are three kinds of givers. The flint, the sponge, and the honeycomb. To get anything out of flint, you need to hammer it, right? And then you only get chips and sparks. To get water out of a sponge, what do you do? You squeeze it. And sometimes that's how hard it is to get stuff out of people, right? You've got to squeeze it out of them, right? But honeycomb just overflows with its own sweetness. Which kind of giver are you? And I'm not just talking about financially. I'm talking about your opportunities to help. Which kind of giver are you? Does it just flow out of you like honeycomb? Sweetness? Is it in love? Why did God send us His Son? Why? Because He so loved the world, right? God sent us His Son because He loves us. Loved and loves us. Still does. Why did Jesus minister to sinners? Why did He, he, he minister to those that the, others, the religious leaders thought were heathens? You know, He ate with sinners, tax collectors, and those types of people. Why did He minister to them? Because He loved them. Right? Why do we help others? Friends, I hope it's because we love them. Why do I get up here and preach? I'll tell you right now, it would be a whole lot easier to just sit back on my porch every night and watch the wind blow and watch the vehicles go by down on 51. It would be a whole lot easier to do that. A whole lot less stressful. But I do it because I love those that I am preaching to, that I am teaching with, that I am sharing with, that I am having a relationship with because I love you guys and I love everyone that may hear this message today and may hear it months from now because I love them and care about their souls. So why do we do what we do? Why do we teach? Is it because of love? Why do we give? Is it because of love? Why do we help? I hope the answer to all of these for each of you is because of love. If we let love motivate and drive every single thing we do, then we are on the right track. Love should motivate us in our work. In the way we work, in the way we treat others. Love should motivate us in school, the way we treat others. You know, this morning with the kids, we were in Genesis chapter 24. And Abraham had sent his servant to find a wife for Isaac. Of course, we all know the story. He found Rebekah. And whenever he got to the journey where Abraham had sent him, down to the home where he came from, and he said, the servant prayed to God. He said, God of my master Abraham, 
I pray that you would help me to have success today. So I asked the kids, why do you think the servant prayed that way? And they were very good in their answers. Because Abraham lived a faithful life before the servant. That servant recognized God's love in Abraham. So that was my question to them. Would your friends, would your classmates, do they recognize God's love in you? Do they recognize, would they say, well, I want to pray to the same God that my friend Landon prays, prays to or Rowan prays to? Because I see the love that's in them and I see their kindness. I want that too. So that's for people of all ages. Do those around us see God's love in us? And they will if we do all that we do with love. Amen? Amen. Amen.